a joy that spans eternity, the truth that makes us ever free. May thy joy fill our days. Oh, Master, may thy wisdom guide our ways. Oh, Master, may thy joy fill our days. Oh, Master, May thy wisdom guide our ways. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Sunday service this morning. And it's been really a remarkable weekend. I think we've all been felt really changed and um, just seeing Ananda's potential in a very different way. And our topic this week is very fitting because the source of it all is Guruji. And if we hold true to that, no matter how much Ananda expands, we will remain in his grace. So... From Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, the question, which not all of us have yet answered, do we need a guru? <laughs> Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, Many people scoff at the idea of having a guru. True to human nature generally, they make a virtue of their scoffing. I am responsible for what I do, they announce, responsible for my mistakes as well as for my victories. What would I ever learn if I handed over my development to someone else? To depend on another for guidance would be an act of spiritual cowardice. It would be understandable for someone gifted with some trivial ability, for instance with words, to insist on doing his own crossword puzzle himself without letting anyone else help him. But supposing, even in such trivial matters, he had no such gift, what virtue would there be in refusing to learn? For that matter, moreover, where do our gifts come from? They are not our native ability. Still, crossword puzzles are hardly an important challenge. What if a person wanted to do something daring, to climb a cliff, for example, but refused to study the art of mountain climbing? He would climb at the risk of his life. How much more is risked than physical life in the great adventure of the divine search where the risk is to salvation itself? Where is the sacrifice in seeking guidance? Even a mountain guide wouldn't presume to do one's climbing for one. His purpose would be only to help the neophyte to climb safely. To have a wise guru is not a sign of weakness, but of plain common sense. 
All the saints, aware as they are of the hazards of this adventure, agree on the importance of having a guide or guru. And these are the heroes speaking, not cowards or spiritual weaklings. Jesus emphasized the importance of having a teacher by asking John to baptize him. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 3, we read of his coming to John. Thus Jesus said to John, It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In the Bhagavad Gita, the fourth chapter, Sri Krishna says, Open thyself to those who have attained wisdom. They will be thy teachers. Ask questions of them, both verbally and mentally. Serve them faithfully and with devotion. How is the devotee to recognize one who has attained wisdom? The Bhagavad Gita gives us this inspiring description of the sage. By this sign is he known, being of equal grace to comrades, friends, chance comers, strangers, lovers, enemies, aliens, and kinsmen, loving all alike, evil or good. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Holy friends, what a remarkable weekend this has been, huh? I'm going to move this aside until we need it. Normally we start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, but I want to end with it instead because I think we will be more receptive. I hope we'll be more receptive to it by the end of the talk. So this question of do we need a guru is a very interesting question. Davy and I were with Swamiji when he was giving an interview to a reporter and the reporter asked that very question, do we need a guru? And Swami gave an answer that made our jaw drop. He said, no, we don't need a guru. Why would you want a guru? Why would you want someone telling you what to do, how to think, how to behave? You don't need a guru. Unless, of course, you want to find God, then you need a guru. <laughs> and so we might, we might think, well, that reporter was ignorant and didn't really understand the spiritual path or anything about it. But there's a huge debate in the yoga movement. We have uh, someone here, Gyandev, who has served for many years on the board of directors of the largest yoga organization in the country, Yoga Alliance. And there's a huge debate going on within that organization about whether they should honor or even allow the lines of tradition that come down from gurus because they wanted self-defined yoga. And there's, you know, some of the major magazines look upon 
paths of yoga that have gurus as kind of a guru tradition. We don't want their articles in our magazines. So even within the own magazines, there is a misunderstanding about gurus and what the tradition is. So what is at the seat of that misunderstanding? The seat of the misunderstanding is a complete misunderstanding of what a guru is. We think of the term, there are, and that's in part, I'm supposed to come closer because it's windy, in part because there are different levels of gurus. So any teacher in India, any teacher is honored as a guru. There is a famous saint who said that he had many, many different gurus. One was the bumblebee, because the bumblebee taught him to go to beautiful flowers and take the nectar, whereas the fly went to dung heaps to feed. Another was the rock that taught him steadfastness, the water that taught him flexibility, and so on. So anything that teaches us can be a guru. A more enlightened guru is one that teaches us important skills, how to be able to overcome delusions, because we're constantly chasing after delusions that, one, we aren't going to catch, and if we could catch them, aren't going to do us any good. When I was about three years old, I had, well, I had an uncle all the time, but, and he was a, he loved practical jokes. So when I was about three years old, probably I was too energetic and bothering him and, and my parents while they were having, wanting to have some time together. So he said, you know what you need to do? I'm going to give you a salt shaker. And if you go out into the yard here and you go and you put some salt on the tail of a bird, that bird is going to turn around to lick the salt off, and then you can catch him. I thought, well, that sounds like a good idea. <clears throat> so I went out with my little salt shaker, and I ran around after those robins, and doggone it, but I couldn't catch a single one. <clears throat> they just wouldn't hold still long enough for that salt to get on their tail. <clears throat> now, a three-year-old, we can laugh, but... How many people in this world chase after those big fat robins of material possessions? And as soon as they get close, it flits away from them. And so they figure, well, I'm, something's wrong in my strategy here. I need a bigger salt shaker. <laughs> and then they flit after the, I don't know, the turtle doves of love. And they flit away too. And they say, well, maybe they like pink salt. I'll get some of that Himalayan salt. And then they'll hold still. And then they chase after the, I don't know, the crows of, of status and power. And they can't catch those guys either. And so we're constantly in this world chasing after the unattainable. And, you know, we're all laughing because it's quite clear that we're not three years old and we know those robins won't hold still, but a lot of people in this world are chasing after things that won't hold still and won't satisfy them once, if they ever could catch them. 
And so a guru on a lower level is somebody who's been through enough experiences and is able to begin to train us. Now, without someone to train us, we wouldn't get anywhere. I mean, think of we're born into this world. We wouldn't survive our first day without someone to feed us and love us and hold us. We wouldn't learn how to speak without someone to train us in language. We wouldn't learn how to add or subtract or learn our letters to be able to do those crossword puzzles. So we're always, always needing someone to help and train us. And it's only the arrogance of the ego that pushes that away. And what the guru comes in is to help us overcome the arrogance of the ego, the arrogance of the bundle. Swamiji defined one time the ego as a bundle of self-definitions that we aren't ready to let go of. And so the guru comes in to train us to at least let go of those self-definitions that are really hurting us and aren't helping us at all and gradually to let go of those we think are helping us and finally to let go of all self-definition. And so there's a level of gurus and then there's a satguru. The satguru is one who has no self-definition left, that has tr transcended through having a guru himself and working on the spiritual path, has transcended the thought of having any ego, any self-definition at all. And yet even those, Jesus, went to John because of past relationship of John being his guru. Yogananda went to Sri uh, Yukteswar because of that past relationship. They don't need a guru because they have transcended what a guru can offer them. But they know that we need a guru. And so in order to demonstrate the necessity to us, they take on a guru. Now the Satguru, there is a relationship. See, the Satguru is not a person, really. I mean, obviously, there's a body and there's a kind of a personality, but that isn't who the guru is. The guru is God in a manifested form who is exactly right for those who form that relationship. And each of us are destined to have one guru who will lead us to God. So if we want God, then we need a guru. If we don't, we don't yet, and we won't get one if we don't. So that guru is destined from time in eternity to lead us to God. Now why? Because there's all a kind of a game going on, a show going on that makes it seem real on one hand and not real on the other. Since we've had this movie weekend, Master used to often talk about life as being like a movie. And so there's this drama going on and he would bring disciples into a theater and then have them watch the movie. 
But he said also that, and this is interesting, especially for a few of us here, he said that the movie of life is more interesting because we're both the viewers and the actors in it. So that was kind of true yesterday. <laughs> but on a deeper level, see, we get so caught up in the movie of life, we don't realize that it's a movie anymore. And so he would bring disciples in and he would wait until the really, really exciting, dramatic parts. Then he would tap them on the shoulder and he would point up to the beam of light coming down from the projector and he would say, see, it's all a play of light and dark. That's all that you're watching. That's all that you're caught up in. And so we're caught up in a play of light and dark, success and failure. This is Maya. This is duality. And so all of the things that we think are real is just a play of Maya because what's behind that is just the beam of light that's being differentiated. And that beam of light is God and it is producing everything. It's producing the villain, the hero, the scenery behind the villain and hero, all of it, everything. Everything we see, everyone we see, all of it is God and God alone. But we don't realize that and so we need somebody who has realized that in order to help train us, in order to help wake us up. So how do we receive that help from the guru? Could you bring a glass of water? This is dry work. I think it'll, okay, that's even better, thank you. So, we need the guru in order to help us transcend our limitations and the sat guru will help us transcend all limitations. But how do we open ourselves to the guru? Well, first of all, we have to want one. There was a beautiful incident, we were witness to it. There was a man who was wondering whether Satchitan, I mean, excuse me, Satya Sai Baba was his guru or not. And we were at a lecture with several hundred people in a big lecture hall and Swamiji was giving a talk. And this man happened to be sitting on the very back of the audience against the wall where there were, you know, it was packed completely. So they had to put chairs all the way up to the back wall. And on the back wall were various photos of different spiritual teachers. And he was just sitting there. And Swamiji was talking about this subject. And he said that when the devotee is ready, the guru will come to him. And at the very moment that he said those words, the picture of Satya Sai Baba fell off of the wall and landed face up in this boy's lap, young man's lap. Well, even he got the point there. <laughs> and so when we're ready, the guru will appear to us. Now, the guru may not appear, our sat guru may not appear to us right away, 
because we may say we're ready, but it's like a third grader saying, oh, heck, I can skip all the rest. I'll just go straight to graduate school. Well, we aren't quite ready for graduate school. A Satguru is graduate school because we're going to graduate out of, we're going to matriculate out of delusion by the end of his training. So when we want a guru, when we really do, then the guru will send someone to us to help us evolve, to help us have the training that's necessary to be open to the depth of what he has to offer. And what does a true guru, a sat guru, have to offer? Has to offer freedom, complete freedom. And how does that happen? Well, Swami is such a beautiful example of this. He has written, and we just did this, the purification ceremony. He's written the words, open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. And so when we've gotten to the point where we're really ready to open our heart to the guru, then the Satguru will come. He will enter and take charge of our life. There was a beautiful story of Dr. Lewis, Master's first disciple, although Master never allowed people to say they were his disciple. He said, God is the guru. You are a disciple of God. Of course, he understood because he had no ego that he had to be an intermediary for that, but he didn't want even that little delusion. But So Dr. Lewis was Master's first disciple in this country. And when they met, it was Christmas Eve, and Dr. Lewis had attended a lecture and was very taken and came up to uh, Master's hotel room afterwards and wanted him to become his guru, become his guide. And Master asked him, will you give me your unconditional love and devotion? And Dr. Lewis said, yes. And then he asked him, will you give me your unconditional obedience? And Dr. Lewis said yes. And then he said, when he said that, Master literally rubbed his hands like that, said, now I can take charge of your life. And so we have to open ourselves sufficiently because we have free will and the guru, God, will not intrude upon that free will until we open our hearts sufficiently to Invite God in, and then he'll rub his hands and say, Okay, you've opened your heart. Now I can come in and take charge of your life. And there are levels and levels of opening and levels and levels of him taking charge of our life also. So there was another beautiful example that has, it was more than one example, but it had been condensed into one example for the movie that is being shot now, uh, which is the story of Swamiji's life. And in this, there's a scene in which Master and Swamiji are together, and the way the movie is shot, this takes place with the scene that many of us know where Master is flipping a fork, and it does it over and over and over again. Finally, it goes into a glass and cracks the glass 
But Master looks up at, at Swamiji with twinkle in his eye and says, but I got it in. Well, Swamiji didn't think, oh, well, that's a little weird, and he broke the glass. I mean, Swamiji knew everything that Master did was for a purpose. And he knew, well, he's teaching me perseverance. He's teaching me if you start something, you do it until it's finished. And I'm going to need that. So he took that lesson from him. And then in this scene, uh, there are some guests that have been ushered out. And then uh, Master turns to Swamiji and he says, uh, what did you say to that man last week? And Swami says, what man? The man who wanted to come to your class? And Swami said, oh, well, I told him he was insincere. And he said, I said I was going to be giving this class. And he said, well, if you're giving it, then I'll be sure to come. And Swami didn't like that insincerity. And so he said to this man, well, then stand at the door and check people for garbage so they don't throw fruits and vegetables at me. And so Master was saying, what did you say to that man last week? And Swami said, what man? And Master said, the man you told not to, uh, to check people for garbage? And Swami said, you knew. And Master turns and says, I know every thought that you think. And so Master knows every thought that we think. God knows every thought that we think. Already does. But we have to open ourselves to that concept. You know, we're way beyond laws of privacy here. <laughs> this is not NSA reading your emails. <laughs> this is the guru knowing every thought that you think. And we have to open ourselves. So Swami's response to that was, oh, Master, I'm so glad. I want you to know every thought. Please guide me. Please help me. And so Swamiji led his life that way. At one point he said, I try to attune every thought that I have to Master. I offer it to Master. Then he said, I realize that that's not enough. I want to offer every feeling, every emotion, every act to Master. And then later on, toward the end of his life, because he had a lifelong practice of that, every day, every thought, every thing was offered to Master, if not consciously, at least generally. So he was giving to Master everything. And then later on, toward the end of his life, he said, I'm not sure anymore where Kriyananda leaves off and Master begins. There had been emergence there. And so we have to offer gifts to God, to the Guru. There was another beautiful story. And the Guru will accept them if we offer them. Another beautiful story where Swamiji, you know, the monks had very little money and very little allowance. But Swamiji had saved up his $5 a month allowance for a long time. And 
finally purchased a harmonium because Master had told him, you must get rid, get, be less intellectual and more devotional. And so Swami spent hours and hours chanting every day. And so he'd saved up and gotten a harmonium. And he proudly, or not proudly, he happily showed Master the harmonium. And Master said, oh, I am buying it. Meaning I'm, I'm buying it for you. And Swami said, no, no, I'm giving it to you. Well, Master accepted that harmonium. Now, he didn't need a harmonium. He accepted it because what we give to the guru, we're free of. So, this principle of what we give to the guru when we give our heart, when we give our attachments, when we give the sense of separation, he will accept that, he will take that, and he will free us forever and ever. It says in the Gita also that we should ask questions of the guru. We can't ask a question like, what should I do with my life? That's got no energy in it. Master said the highest prayer is, I will act, I will will, I will think, but guide thou my thought, will, and activity to the right path in everything. So what should I do with my life? That's not the right one. It's that when we are feeling to do something, we ask the guru, is this right? I want your guidance. There is a beautiful chant that one of the devotees here wrote. It was, Jai Guru, oh, Om Guru Mai, oh, what is it, Davy? Uh, Lakshman's oh, chant. Uh, will it, does, it does it please you, my guru? This I'll ask of all I do. If it pleases you, Jai Guru, I'll do what pleases you. And so that's what we should ask. Does this please you? Not tell me what to do, but I will will, I will act, I will think. Does this please you, my guru? If we ask that question, then we get the answer and we get greater and greater attunement. So we have to ask questions of the guru. We have to give gifts to the guru. Now he doesn't want our gifts. He doesn't need our, our harmonium. He doesn't need our money. He's going to take our money if we offer it to him, and he won't keep it. He's going to use that money to feed other people, to do the work. Master kept a little bit of money in a box, and he didn't even like that. And he would give the monks and others little money to go out and buy ice cream in our shrine of the Master. We have a little dollar, a dollar bill in a frame that was given by Master to Swamiji to go out and buy ice cream. And the boys said, no, no, Master, we don't need your money. He said, please, take this. It's hot. Don't you want some ice cream? No, no, Master, we don't want your money. Master said, take it. I don't want money and I can't keep it. Take this money. Go out. So 
we think, oh, we're giving money to the guru. No, we're not. He's just a channel for passing that on to help. And finally, it says in the Gita to serve the guru. We aren't serving the guru. We're serving the guru serving others. And so someone like Master, like Yogananda, has millions and millions of people to feed. Not literally, not rice and beans, but he has to feed them with higher consciousness, with love, with joy. Anandamoy Ma said, the natural food of the mind is joy, and we will always be hungry until we feast on joy. And so the guru comes and we help serve in order to help others feast on joy and help ourselves feast on joy. So the guru represents not a person, he represents absolute joy, absolute love, absolute freedom, absolute wisdom. And do we need a guru? No, unless we want joy and love and wisdom and freedom in God, then we need a guru. I'd like to end by reading this beautiful, beautiful poem by Master. This is God's Boatman. This is the statement of a true guru. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to Earth's shores from my home in space. I want to load my boat with all those waiting, thirsty ones who have been left behind, that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy. There where my father distributes his all-desire, quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering, with bleeding feet I will come, if need be, a trillion times, as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation, that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body, that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I want also to share it with others, that all my brothers may find the way to happiness forever and forever in thee. And that's the guru, and that's why we need a guru.